Uh, James chapter 3, we're going to talk about the wisdom of, of, of God in the book of James and how that uh, wisdom is personified in the person of Jesus Christ. And before we get to that, I, I, I started to ask a moment ago, uh, how many of you have ever been in a group of children who are opening presents all at the same time? Is anybody, like around Christmas time, it's Christmas morning, you got a bunch of kids around uh, the tree and they're opening presents. And as one child starts unwrapping a gift, they're all filled with excitement and they start playing with their gift until one of their siblings opens their gift and they see that the gift that their sibling got was something that they desired just a little bit more. Has anybody ever witnessed that? Suddenly, this new gift that they now see does not compare at all with the gift that they had a moment ago. A moment ago, they were all excited about it, but then now they see this gift that somebody else has and they're a little tore up over it and they're very disappointed. And, and I think a lot of times we do that as people. We compare what we have to what we wish we had, or we compare what we have to what somebody else might have, and we quickly become jealous over something that, that really, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't even matter all that much. Uh, I remember it was Christmas of 1980. I remember it very well. My brother Jeff, his wife Donna, they've been married for about a year and a half, and uh, they bought for the rest of us who were still at home, and they did the best they could do. They didn't have a lot of money, but they did the best that they could do to buy for us kids who were still at home, and when I opened my gift, I was excited because it was a stretch monster. Does anybody remember the stretch monster? Anybody have one of those, right? And it was like this green rubbery thing, and it had this gel-like stuff in it. And like I could be standing here, and Paul, you could grab it and walk to Fellowship Hall, and it would still not pull apart. But then this minute you let go of it, it goes back into shape, right? It was one of these really, really cool, cool things. And it was filled with this goo that uh, I don't know what was in the goo uh, at the particular time. I opened it up a little bit later and found out, and it was not good. Uh, it was disgusting. But I got this stretch monster. But what I really wanted was the Stretch Armstrong, but I'm like, well, okay, I'll go with the Stretch Monster, but I really want the Stretch Armstrong. And I was excited about my Stretch Monster until my brother Bobby opened his gift from Jeff and Donna, and it was a tape player, all right? Now, I know that's not much. That's even pre-boombox, right? I mean, it's not even that big of a deal, and I didn't even want the player at all, but what I did find out was that my stretch monster I knew cost about $20, and I knew that this tape player cost about $50, okay? So in my mind, I'm thinking that cheap Jeff and Donna could have got Stretch Armstrong and the Stretch Monster for the price of the tape player. And I was disappointed. I'm like, what are you guys thinking? You spend that much on Bobby and you only spend this much on me. And that was only 43 years ago and I'm pretty much over it now. <laughs> but I... I was jealous, right? For, for some stupid reason, I was, was jealous. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, a few months later, I got curious as to what was in my stretch monster, and I cut it open. And uh, it was this like white goo-like substance that was absolutely uh, disgusting. But here's the deal. We get worked up over things that really, again, in the grand scheme of things, they don't even matter. And, and today I want to talk about 
some of the characteristics of jealousy and some of the consequences of jealousy. We're in week number three of our series, the 316s of Scripture. So far, we've looked at John 316. Last week, we looked at 2 Thessalonians 316. And today, we're going to turn our attention to the book of James and see the wisdom that is found in the book of James. Now, James is written by the brother of Jesus, and he's writing to the scattered church, and he's trying to encourage them. I know you're scattered. I know you're being persecuted, but you need to live faithfully even in the midst of this persecution, even in the midst of this extreme pressure. You need to stay faithful. And in chapter 1, he tells all of the Christians that God uh, has told us that we're going to face troubles In this life, you're going to face trials. Don't be surprised by it. You're going to face them. And I want you to be able to experience success. I want you to be able to experience victory over the trials and the troubles. And and, and he said, don't just listen to what the Word says. Do what it says. Okay? And so he's basically saying, I want you to experience everything that God has to offer you by being obedient to His Word. Right? And then in chapter 2, he says, Listen, I don't want you to show favoritism of any kind, whether it deals with a person's wealth, whether it deals with gender, whether it deals with race, whether it deals with skin color, education, anything else. Don't be showing favoritism over uh, someone who doesn't have these things or who's not wired like they are. We are to treat everyone with value, everyone with significance, everyone with respect. And he said, the Spirit of God will produce fruit in your life. And then in this third chapter, we get to the point where he talks about the power of our mouths, the power of our tongues, and and how when we say certain things and we say them with a certain tone, how hurtful it can be. And we need to be careful what we say. Our mouths have the power to build up or tear down, to lift up or to crush, to bring life to someone, or to bring death into a relationship. And so James is basically saying, if you want to experience everything that God has for you, you need to be wise, right? You need to be wise in a certain way. You need to be wise in the ways of Scripture. You need to be wise in the ways of the Holy Spirit. Before we get into James, look at Colossians with me real quick, chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. He says, this is Paul writing to the church at Colossae, and he says, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. And I think everybody would agree with me that Satan is doing his best to deceive Christians with well-crafted arguments, right? And James is saying, be careful of this. I want you to be wise in the ways of Scripture. And what he's basically saying is wisdom is more about a who than it is a what, It's about having a relationship with Jesus. It's not about learning a bunch of stuff. It's more about knowing who Jesus is and growing in His truth. And I want you to keep that in mind as we read this from chapter 3, and we'll begin with verse 13 and go through verse 18. James says this, If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. 
But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are, are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure, It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. And so as James is laying this all out to us, he says, listen, there's two different kinds of wisdom. There is the wisdom that comes from the world, which is natural wisdom. And then there's heavenly wisdom that comes from scripture and is made evident through the life of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, you are going to live by one of them. One of those types of wisdom is going to dominate your life. Now, not 100% of the time are you always going to live by heavenly wisdom and not 100% of the time are you going to live by earthly wisdom, but you're going to pattern your life. You're going to govern your life by one of these types of wisdom, right? And so we look at godly wisdom. I think, you know, we can see that in scripture. And I was always taught that if you want to understand your opponent, and Satan is our opponent, you have to have a good game plan. You have to have a scouting report. And so what I'm going to do today is I want to give you the scouting report. I want to give you a game plan so that you can be on your guard understanding what the devil is trying to do to you. Because he is here to what? Kill, steal, and destroy, right? That's what he wants to do. And so I think we need to see that... Uh, the two different types of wisdom that are out there uh, are, are, again, natural and heavenly. But I, but I really want to hone in on this natural wisdom. And, and I think the first thing that we see, the first characteristic of natural wisdom is that it's earthly-minded. Right? We're, we're focused on the things that are here. We're focused on this earth. And if we have this earthly-minded wisdom, here's what we normally do. We are normally focusing on wealth, health, and... Um, and happiness, right? It's all about, I want to get as much as I can get, I want to be healthy, and I want to be happy. And a person who lives by earthly-minded wisdom are going to be driven by making more money and being happy, right? And that's what a lot of people argue. They say, well, the Lord, you know, the Lord wants me to be happy. Show me where it says that. Can anybody point out scripture that says, God just wants me to be happy? He never says that. In fact, he says just the opposite. He says, you can have joy, you can have peace, you can have contentment. But he said, listen, you're going to experience trouble. You're going to experience trials. Nowhere does God ever say, I just want you to be happy. I cannot tell you the number of couples that I have counseled in my office who just say, well, I'm just not happy anymore. And they leave their spouse because they're not happy. God is saying, I want you to be holy. He never called us to be happy. He called us to be holy. And we think that, that life, we think our happiness, our peace, our contentment is all about, you know, if we just have more things, if we have nicer things, if we have better things. And, and so many people are wrapped up in this mindset of it's all about what I can have. And these are the type of people who want the stretch monster and the stretch Armstrong. Okay? And they make their decisions 
And they govern their lives based on these things that they can have. And so people in their youth, and even when they're older, they think that happiness is found in these things. I heard a story about a young man who went to a fortune teller. I obviously don't recommend that. But he went to a fortune teller. Fortune teller studied his hand of, the, of this guy, and he looks at him. He says, listen, you're going to be poor and very unhappy until you're 37 years old. The young man said, well, after that, what will happen? Will I be rich and happy? Fortune teller said, no, you'll still be poor, but you'll be used to it by then. Now, I'm not saying get used to it, okay? I'm not saying don't work to try to improve your financial situation, but don't get so caught up in chasing after things and chasing after stuff that you think is going to make you happy in the here and now. Earthly-minded wisdom says go after that stuff. But the Bible's saying, no, no, there's a, there's a different way. Natural wisdom also focuses on the temporary. For them, it's all about the here and the now because the, in their minds, they think, well, hey, I only live once, so I'm going to go after everything that I can. Um, you know, um, they, they give very little or even no thought to what might happen to them after their life is over here on earth. Colossians 3.1, again, Paul writing to the church of Colossae, he says, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. If your life is about the here and now, then you're living your life in this earthly-minded wisdom, in this earthly-minded way, and that type of Living is unspiritual, and that's the second characteristic of natural wisdom. Living your life by natural wisdom or earthly-minded wisdom is unspiritual. And here's what happens, okay? The unspiritual person is driven by their emotions. Even the world says, hey, if it feels good... And, 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 and then, you know, you have every right to feel this way or feel that way. And so we govern our lives based on our emotions or how we feel. And, and the word that, that is being used here by James is, is uh, it's an interesting word for and spiritual. It's kind of like the word that is used for the undead in the movies, right? We see zombies that are called undead. Not that I watched them, only heard about them. And, and, and they're dead, but they're not, right? They look alive, but they're not. Unspiritual is like that. It feel, it, you know, it's kind of like a person might look spiritual, but they're not. You know, it kind of brings to mind people who play the game, people who go to church, they play a good game, but they're not really living what God wants them to do. They're unspiritual. They're kind of like the walking dead. You know? And it refers to being selfish. Even going after things that, that are sensual. And that's why so many people get themselves in trouble in their marriages and, and in their relationships. They go after things that God's saying, listen, that's, that's, not, that's not for you, right? They're driven by their feelings. 
This refers to the lower nature of people, that part of you that hungers, that part of you that craves, that desires or lusts after something, something that is apart from God. And the source of that unspiritual lifestyle, it's your thoughts, right? There's a battleground that's taking place in there. And as you start thinking about these things, you start thinking with your own earthly wisdom instead of integrating the Holy Spirit's wisdom into your life. And so you have the the kind of attitude and the kind of interest and the kind of pursuits that are not of God. An unspiritual wisdom is driven by what makes a person happy regardless of God's desire for their lives. We have this attitude, I want what I want and I want it now. And that finds its way into everything in our lives, into our homes, into our jobs, into our schools, into our churches. And here's how it happens. People just ignore the Holy Spirit. And that's the, if you're taking notes this morning, unspiritual wisdom ignores the Holy Spirit. The person is guided by their own selfish desires to the point that when they hear that still small voice in their head or they're reading Scripture and they know that God's Word says this and He's calling for a change in your life, you ignore it and listen to what you want instead. And this is why people go out and make decisions based simply on what they want rather than what God wants because they refuse to listen to what the Spirit's saying. It's their will, not God's will, that really matters to them. Take a close look at 1 Corinthians 2.13 with me, if you will. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. He says, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. If you're depending on your own natural and unspiritual wisdom, you're never going to intentionally make decisions that honor God. You are not going to accidentally fall into a spiritual way of living. It has to be intentional. An unspiritual wisdom ignores what God says. And pursues the feelings of of happiness. Now the third thing here about natural wisdom that we can learn from this passage. And this one's a little strong. I'm not going to lie. I don't think you'd want me to, right? As your preacher. You probably don't want me to lie, right? So here's what it says. Natural wisdom is demonic. It's not just unspiritual. It's demonic. And you might be thinking, that's pretty extreme, isn't it? Well, Hear me out on this. Earthly-minded wisdom basically means that you are influenced by Satan's kingdom and not God's. You're governing your life. You're governing your decisions by the things that Satan's kingdom is saying you should do. Right? Because Here's the deal. We cannot explain natural wisdom by just saying it's a, it's a human thing, that it's just, it's just merely a human thing. It's, it's human, but it's something else. Something else is influencing our decisions. And that something else is really a someone else, and it's Satan. And it's his kingdom. And when we start letting his kingdom influence our lives more than we are allowing God's kingdom to influence our lives, it's not going to be long before we turn around and say, what in the world happened? And and here's what happens. The unspiritual wisdom, it sounds good. It sounds correct. Satan makes it sound very attractive, but it always leads you away from God. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a path before each person that seems right. But it ends in death. 
That's the game that Satan is playing with us, right? Earthly-minded wisdom will eventually take you where you don't want to go. It also means it is approved by Satan's kingdom. So not only is it influenced, but it is approved. And the emphasis is on wisdom here that reflects a a philosophy or a pattern of thinking that is so contrary to God's truth that Satan's just sitting back there going, I like that. I like that. Ephesians, Paul writes, chapter 6, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. And that includes natural wisdom. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Wisdom's a battleground, church. And the devil wants you to be on his side. He wants you to choose his side when you make decisions. And God is telling us through this passage in James that natural wisdom is earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's flat-out demonic. And this is a pretty strong warning for us. James doesn't hold back on us because this is pretty serious stuff. And he says there are consequences to your life. He's not just saying this because he thinks you need to live a bleh life. He's telling you this because if you live your life in this way, there are very severe consequences. Here they are. Natural wisdom will produce contention. When natural wisdom is operating in your home, in other words, if you're living by the, what the world says is okay in your home, you're going to have contention in your home. If you're living by what the Holy Spirit of God says, it doesn't mean that, that you're going to have, um, you know, every, every day is going to be great. It doesn't mean that you're not going to argue with your spouse anymore. Stacy and I never argue. We, we have intense moments of fellowship. That's what we, it's not arguing. It's, it's, no. I'm, I'm, but, but if we didn't, I, I mean, in every married couple out there, I don't care how wonderful your marriage is, every single person who's married, there's, there's going to be times when you, when you knock heads where there's going to be difficulties. But I'm telling you right now, if you don't have the wisdom of God living in your home, Those are going to happen more often, and they're going to be more intense, and they're going to have catastrophic results. You're going to have more arguments, more conflict, more controversy. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Irish novelist and playwright Samuel Beckett, but he he received a lot of incredible recognition for his work. But not everyone savored his accomplishments. I heard a story about... Uh, him and his wife, their marriage was not good. It was soured because his wife was insanely jealous, not of him and another person, but she was jealous of his fame and his success as a writer. Now, I cannot wrap my mind around that, but that's what their relationship was like. And one day in 1969, his wife, Suzanne, answered the telephone and listened for a moment, spoke briefly to the person on the other end and hung up. She then turned to her husband, Beckett, and she had this just sour look on her face and said, what a catastrophe. Was it a devastating personal tragedy? No. She had just learned that her husband, Beckett, 
had won the Nobel Prize for Literature. Can you imagine being in a relationship that is so soured, so contentious, that your own spouse cannot, cannot rejoice with you? James chapter 3, verse 14 says, but if you are, and, and you're sitting there and you're saying, you know what? No, that can never happen. I'm telling you that if you are living your life by earthly natural wisdom, there's the potential for that. It is. But I'm also telling you that if you are living your life with the wisdom of heaven, you're not even going to get close to that. James 3.14, if you're bitterly jealous and there's a selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, as we said a moment ago. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. James mentions jealousy and selfishness three times in connection with natural wisdom here. I think James is trying to tell us something, right? I mean, if someone tells you something three times, they either really want you to understand it, or you're old like I am, and you have to be told two or three times before you really hear that, right? My, my kids have told me that before. Dad, you've already told me that, or, or something like it, right? So, anybody relate to that? Okay, a couple of us. Good. I, I don't think James is doing that. I don't think this is something that James is just like, oh, yeah, you know what? I told you this earlier. You know, blah, 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 sorry about that. He wants us to get it, right? What he's trying to say is natural wisdom produces bitter jealousy. And the word that is used here for bitter is pikros. It's a, it's a Greek word, pikros, and it means to be pointed or to be sharp or to be prickly. He's saying this is the kind of Jealousy that hurts, it stings, it, it pricks, it cuts. And he's saying, you, you can't have that. Jealousy, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's the strong feeling of possessiveness, often caused um, by the possibility that something which belongs to us, or we think ought to belong to us, is about to be taken away. And when you combine that prickly, cutting, sharp, bitter with, with this jealousy. And it, it's basically, this is a person that has no concern for how another person feels. They have no concern for the welfare of other people. And God is calling us to a way higher standard than that. He's, he's actually calling us to be kind and compassionate and forgive one another, just as in Christ Jesus, God has forgiven us. And so this naturally earthly-minded person, this wisdom will say, this is yours, do whatever it takes to keep it or get it back. And bitter jealousy will lie, will steal, will cheat, will slander, will manipulate, will deceive in order to get back or keep what they think is theirs. And you'll see this occur in relationships uh, over money and time and space and things and just about everything.
It also produces selfish ambition. Ambition's a good thing, but selfish ambition is a bad thing. Natural wisdom says, this is what I think I should have, and you deserve it, so do whatever it takes to, to get it. Bitter jealousy wants others to take the hit. They want others to be demoted, while selfish ambition wants you to be promoted. Selfish ambition says, I will do or say anything in order to get my way, and selfish ambition will nag and complain and gripe and give the silent treatment or withhold something in order to get their point across or get whatever they want. Selfish ambition also will be nice, right? They'll be polite. They'll be generous. They'll be helpful in order to get what they want. And then when they get what they want, sorry about your luck. They have this mindset that the ends justify the means. But listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. When we're living our lives by this selfish, um, natural wisdom, it produces things from your sinful nature. Natural wisdom does not produce the things of God. It opposes heavenly wisdom. It, it strongly opposes. It's at war with heavenly wisdom. And when you're operating out of this natural wisdom, your needs become the driving force behind what you do or your perceived needs. It's more like your wants. Your wants is the driving force. And so all of your decisions begin to revolve around you and how you feel. And when someone thinks like this, they will eventually create contention and controversy in their home, at work, among their friends. Those around you will eventually begin to feel used by you rather than loved by you. Now, the second consequences of earthly-minded natural wisdom is this. It will produce confusion. Look at James 3.16 again. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder. Disorder means instability, disarray, confusion. When you find a life, you find a marriage, you find a home, you find a relationship, you find a church, you find a nation that is unstable, you're going to find jealousy. You're going to find selfish ambition. Isn't that what we look at when we look? I, I don't like to get political, but when we look at the landscape of politics in our nation today, would you say this pretty much describes what's happening in our country? All right. I don't like politics. They're, I guess they're necessary. I don't like them. We get our word politics from two words, poly meaning many, ticks meaning blood-sucking creatures. Amen? <laughs> That'll preach. That might be the most spiritual thing I've said. I don't, anyway. And it's all because we've got so many people in our world who are operating out of natural wisdom. It reminds me of the story about the two shop owners who were bitter rivals. Their stores directly across from each other. They would spend the day keeping track of how many customers they had compared to how many customers their, their, uh, 
their rival had across the street, and one would have a big day, and they would smile and triumph at the other, and basically na 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 at the other person. And one night, an angel appeared to one of the shop owners in a dream and said, I'll give you anything you ask. But whatever you ask for, whatever you received, understand that your rival will receive twice as much. Would you like to be rich? You can be very rich, but understand if you decide to be rich, your rival will be twice as rich. Do you wish for a long, healthy life? You can, but understand his life is going to be healthier and twice as long. What's your desire? And the man frowned, thought for a moment, and said, here's my request. I want you to strike me blind in one eye. You see, for those of you in the back, the other guy would get both. Uh, yeah, they'd be, okay, just get, takes a while to work its way back there, right? But here's the deal. We, 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 we have this contention when we're in battle, and then this contention leads to the final thing, and that is corruption. Look again at James 3.16. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. And this word evil can mean anything from, from uh, uh, hurtful to, to something just, just absolutely vicious. It's basically evil of every kind. And it corrupts our relationships. If, if you don't get anything else, and, and I can't remember where I, I heard this, where I read this, and, and I've already mentioned it a couple of times. Wisdom is more of a who than a what. God's wisdom is not about learning a bunch of statements and then carrying out these legalistic things that we think we have to do. God's wisdom is in having a relationship with Jesus. It's letting His wisdom live through you. Notice what Paul says about wisdom in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And as I'm reading this, I want the worship team to go ahead and come on up. And, and, and I want the rest of us to just kind of... Actually, let's just read this out loud together, okay? God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made Him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. And He freed us from sin. Wisdom is a who. It's Jesus living through us. Wisdom is a Christ-empowered life that lives for the glory of God. Wisdom is allowing the Holy Spirit of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the grace of Jesus to have control and influence on your life and completely disregarding what Satan's trying to do in your life. Without Jesus, there is no true wisdom, guys. With Jesus, there's all the wisdom that you need. And the more you become like Jesus, the less bitter you're going to be. The less likely you are to pursue selfish things. And the way you become more like Jesus, if you're already a believer, it's to dive into His Word. And study His Word and have an active prayer life, and surround yourself with good people that can help you grow. There might be some of you who have never made that decision. 
to follow Jesus. That's where it starts. Maybe you've never confessed Jesus as the Christ. You've never repented of your sins. You've never been baptized into Him. That's where it starts. And we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And um, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And if there's anyone here today that uh, would like to make that decision, uh, maybe there's someone here today that just needs prayer. That's saying, listen, I'm sorry, God. Um, I've been living way, way too much for myself and not nearly enough for you. Um, Maybe you want to make that decision right where you're at. Maybe you want to publicly rededicate your life. Whatever decision that it might be that God is laying on your heart, just, just be obedient to Him, would you? Let's pray together.